0: listening to the Teen Wolf, Rewolf. Wolf. Okay, here's the thing. Yeah. We were both like so productive today. We both woke up early. The sun was shining. It was a beautiful, totally kidding. We were both hung over all day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like that is some revisionist history right there. Uh,
0: not that I expect anybody from work <laughs> to be listening. Also, it's like it didn't impact my work day. No. But here's the thing. When you're like, well, I'm and I don't do this often, but we had a holiday yesterday. Happy Labor Day, um, Americans. Workers of the world unite. Happy Rosh Hashanah, yeah. Jewish listeners. Shabbat. Yeah, Shabbat yeah. um, So we celebrated um, in the way that Americans do, which is drinking. And, it's our um, national pastime. Yeah. <laughs> drinking baseball. Cornhole. Cornhole. <laughs> and yeah like you're like well I'm working from home tomorrow so that's fine but like you still have to wake up and work from home yeah nice (laughs) because I got to do it in pajamas
1: I really do not know how we're all gonna integrate back into like a five-day work week uh where I have to be like presentable by eight o'clock to get on the train to get there by nine Like, just thinking about it right now is giving me hives. Well, I
0: was briefly doing that, but I actually read this thing. Um, Apparently, 50% of uh, people who are working remotely have said that they will quit their job if their Mm. office doesn't let them continue to work remotely.
1: I feel like I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, it's really funny when people talk about coming back into the office as if I did not move three states away during the
0: pandemic. (laughs) There are two people in my office who do not live in the city of Chicago.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Why not? Yeah, quite frankly,
0: we have we're doing like um we're going back to doing Zoom social events. Um, no, well I'm still we're our first one is show and tell, which like is kind of cute in theory, but I don't. You guys, my. You <laughs> Everything about my personal life is between me and the listeners of my Teen Wolf <laughs> podcast. That podcast is the Teen Wolf Rewolf a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian and I'm Julia. And we're hungover.
1: <laughs> uh and I would say that we're feeling better, but actually it's just gotten worse. Oh, it's throughout an, the day. it's an extended
0: <laughs> release. And I actually like I remember early college when I didn't get hungover, like Mm -hmm. it never happened. And then you get one hangover and then you're hungover for the rest of your life. But I used to get over them really quickly. Like it just took like a, a breakfast and some (laughs) coffee and now it's like three to five business days. Right.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like when I was a a green drinker, so to speak, I was like very diligent about coming home and drinking just an ass load of water. Yeah, Um, which is the trick to not feeling horrible the next day. Yeah, most of the time. And the older I've gotten, the more I'm like, it's just not worth it to me. And then I regret it when I wake up.
0: I always see like ads for things that are like this electrolyte drink will cure your hangover. I actually think I should suffer through. <laughs> like I like this is me being punished for my sins. Well,
1: well, well. If it isn't the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I, I'm I'm here, and I feel like this is going to be the. The good part of our day is sitting sitting down and talking about Tane Wolf. That's
1: some manifesting right there. I I'm I'm speaking it to truth, <laughs>
0: <laughs> speaking
1: it into existence.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Um. So this episode was season six, episode seven. Heartless. How could you be
1: so heartless? So heartless. Um. Yes, it was written by Jeff Davis and directed by uh, Kate Eastridge, who has directed on Nancy Drew. And Marvel's Runaways on Hulu, which I've not watched. But I do
0: not know what that is. But uh, people love Nancy Drew.
1: I haven't watched it, but I have a deep amount of affection for, like, Nancy Drew the character in my heart. So I hope it's good. Do you remember the Emma Roberts movie? Yeah. I feel like sometimes I think about it and I'm like, was that a fever dream? I don't know.
0: I feel like it, that <laughs> weirdly falls into, like, a similar category as, like, sleepover. Yeah yeah
1: i feel like there's a special category of like girls who have watched sleepover multiple multiple times mm-hmm. me
0: well i more so meant like it's like a it's like a preteen movie yes you know it's, yeah. it's for like a slightly younger audience of teenage girls mm-hmm.
1: which i don't know there could be more of those
0: i'm no i'm sure there are i'm just i can't aquamarine. Oh no i mean
1: like you could ha- you could there should be more of those
0: okay. anyway aquamarine yeah. also fits into that category
1: Anytime we can bring up aquamarine, I
0: love aquamarine. Yeah, who doesn't? It's so good. Oh, also a Emma Roberts' vehicle, so maybe that's where I'm pulling that from.
1: And uh, Sarah Paxton of Sleepover.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> the reason they don't make those movies anymore is because those actors aged out of them. They were their own genre. They yeah, one in a million. Yeah, can't replace them. So, but we have- sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Heartless. Um, crazy to think that we are but three episodes away from the finale of 6A. I'm really
1: having a hard time processing it, to be honest.
0: Well, I think when we were doing the Twice a Week with Season 5, it just felt like an absolute like Everest-style hike. Like, mm-hmm. it was... Uh, it- gargantuan to get yeah. to the end and taxing but now we are both having fun and this plot line wraps up in half the time so it's like oh shit we, damn See, episode seven that's banana pants
1: we are moving along and it, it is the twice a week yeah. schedule too
0: yes um so before we get too into this episode we do have to do the 60 second recap and i did not look at my notes but i am going
1: first are you i think it's an oh yeah odd episode it's tuesday you're right <laughs> It's Tuesday, um, for us. Yeah, so I am gonna
0: try to recap it. I mean, I like to think that you will recap it, but if it's just a try, like just an attempt, I think that's okay too. Yeah, uh, I think we we'll manage see. expectations well.
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't think any regular listener to the Rewolf needs to be prepped for how chaotic this portion of the episode is going to be.
0: No. So. so um, why bother. W- without further ado, <laughs> uh, on your Marcus of psycho.
1: Okay, so Theo keeps having this recurring morgue nightmare where his dead sister rips out his heart, and then in the real world, Malia is beating him up because she's mad at him. Uh, Liam and Scott have an argument about sending him back, but he knows a lot about the wild hunt, so uh, even though they don't trust him, they're going to let him in on the secret. Theo can show them how to use a transformer to capture the Ghost Rider, which is their whole plot. The sheriff is tearing up the wall in his house and finds the door to his room, and Claudia's like, oh my god, what are you doing in here? Uh, Hayden defends Liam's plan, and they bring Theo to the spot where they plan to catch a ghost rider which kind of looks where the Dread Doctors used to be um, and Hayden offers to be the bait. Melissa um, doesn't trust Peter and is like Malia you need to have a plan but I guess I'll help you and he magically gets better after the nine herbs or whatever. Um, Lydia is talking to her mom about the dead kid and she thinks that the sheriff might have summoned Claudia to fill a void and that she's not actually real which keeps him from remembering Styles. Um, Hayden lures the ghost rider and then they trapped him and it all works um, except that it doesn't and things start to go wrong. The sheriff shows Lydia Styles' room and she sees everything the way that they used to be and they start talking about it um the pack tries to talk to the ghostwriter, but he can't talk so they co and Ooh, get share- you parrish. can't
0: talk anymore either dude because your time is up
1: i actually feel like the notes that i took were not conducive to describing the plot of this episode um, no i wrote a lot of quotes so that's on down. me <laughs> <I like> to- <laughs> people said some said some worthwhile stuff
0: it's a jeff davis
1: episode, in this man. episode yeah um so, I have a lot of faith that you're gonna do super well. Um, like
0: that feels like you're mocking.
1: Me. no, I am we are manifesting. We're manifesting. Yeah, um but I'm gonna give you a minute on the clock to recap the episode starting right
0: now. So Theo's time in the underworld is basically a time loop of his sister stealing his heart, and then he wakes up, and then Millie is beating beating him up, and she's like, "I'm gonna kill him." And then Liam was like, "No, we need him because he remembers Styles," and he says he can help with a wild hunt, and then they're like, Ugh, okay, fine." And then Theo tells them that he knows where a high tra- power transformer is, and then uh, stilinski knocks down the door, like knocks on the wall where Styles' room is, and he's like, "What the f?" And Claudia's like, "Get out of there." And anyway, uh Hayden and Liam bring Theo out to the woods in chains, and then there like to get to the to generator or whatever to catch the ghostwriter and then Scott and the baby pack set up this like anti-electricity trap to catch him. Um and meanwhile Lydia tells her mom that she's sure the sheriff conjured up Claudia because he's like trying to fill the void of styles and Lydia's mom's like, yeah, okay, but maybe don't tell him that anyway. The baby pack catches a ghostwriter and they can't talk to him, so they invite Parrish to come talk to him. And then Lydia tells Sheriff, like, dude, uh, your wife is not real. Like she goes and checks out the room and all the styles she can see all the styles and stuff, but he can't. And then they catch the ghostwriter and Parrish shows up and he like tries to set it free and so they have to fight parish to get out of the room and meanwhile douglas shows up and then kills the ghostwriter steals his that That is time would you like to just wrap up where you were at yeah because you're so close he kills a ghostwriter he eats his brain scott and liam come back in after wrestling parish who's run away because he's i guess embarrassed by his (laughs) little flame on freakout. um i would be yeah oh my god how embarrassing um and they're and they're like you killed the ghost rider this was our only way of getting styles back and then scott does the minute amount of research that it would take to realize (laughs) that no theo didn't clearly like it's one of the murders that's been happening meanwhile lydia and the sheriff are having their big confrontation and she's like no like you are trying not to remember styles because you have found this other thing with in his absence and she throws a jersey at the sheriff that he can't see, but catches it, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And then
1: Mr. Douglas raptures Corey. Yes. Oh yeah. The whip.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Corey has is no more. Rip. Rip. Well,
0: I, I don't like Corey. I like who he is to Mason.
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent assessment. Yeah. Of how I feel about him as well.
0: He's just slimy. He is Randall from <laughs> Monsters Inc. <laughs>
1: I just feel like we talk about Pixar so much.
0: Which is funny because I was not really a Pixar kid. It just feels weirdly like a (laughs) bolted Teen Wolf. It's just, it's such a
1: cultural touchstone for us, I guess. Yeah. I don't know.
0: There's like a Wally sound going around TikTok right now. Wally. I love Wally. I really do love Wally. I saw it with my brother um, when he was like 21. (laughs) So I would have been like 13. (laughs) And um, he was crying so hard, we had to wait till the credits rolled before we could leave the theater because he was just so touched by Wally.
1: I can't remember having seen it in the theater, although I must have. Yeah. Um, I was not a crier until um, I like reached maybe eighteen or nineteen. Um, so things that would definitely, absolutely make me cry now mm-hmm. m- meant nothing when I was a
0: teenager. Yeah, I'm not really
1: much of a crier, but like my.
0: My brother gets worked up over like a good commercial, like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen the commercial of the little kid putting on his dead grandfather's glasses?
0: No, it's like a
1: glasses commercial. It is horrific. It makes me cry. Just even seeing that little kid. Not even that I need to see the whole commercial. I just know what's going to happen. Okay. It really it, like I, the I, whole goal I, of that commercial
0: is to make you feel bad. Okay. Okay, like the ASPCA commercials. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, but for a glasses company. Do they? I, we don't, I, don't have, I don't, we don't have cable. I'm assuming the ASPCA still airs the Sarah McLachlan ads. They do. I feel like there are new songs, but, you know, Arms of the Angel is a classic. A classic. <laughs> um, anyway, so we're going to be talking about uh, this episode of Teen Wolf through one of our classic themes, Control. Because uh, everybody wants it. And nobody has it. <laughs> Except for maybe Douglas, I guess.
1: Yeah, he's the only one getting what he wants. Everybody is, like, falling into his little trap, I guess. I mean, yeah,
0: like, like, they certainly, I think that right now they're so caught up in the Ghost Riders that they have, like, the murders have truly gone to the wayside. They're like, oh, yeah, but that was, like, a regular serial killer, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. But I also think, like, Mr. Douglas has kind of been manipulating them to get them into this position because he kind of validated their ideas about catching a Ghost Rider, Mm -hmm. Um, and then he just waited for them to kind of put it into motion. And then he got exactly what he wanted. So he's the only one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, where would you like to start?
1: I feel like we have to start with, um, Liam slash also Scott slash Theo. They're all wrapped up in each other.
0: Yeah. This is a really interesting, um, it's funny to think that Theo is the one caught in the middle of two other people's quest for control, because that's a serious flip from mm-hmm. season five. But right now, Liam, who has been trying to prove himself this whole season, does what he think is gonna it does what he thinks is gonna be the right decision. He frees Theo, and now has to justify that to Scott. Who would rather be the one to be like? Actually, the only way we can maintain control over any of our situations is to send this evil guy back to the underworld again. The Teen Wolf, like Teen Wolf, does nothing to try to bring forth any conception of the afterlife. Is but he... I don't even know
1: that it is the afterlife. Like he's yeah. with the Skinwalkers, so what? Are... But his
0: sister is
1: there. Yeah. So he's just being tortured for all eternity. I, I guess. I, I guess it
0: kind of reminded me of like the thing in like the hell uh, in like um, the third season of American Horror Story. Where, like, I do not remember that. Oh, it makes you like but... relive your worst nightmares. Oh, well, that'd be fun. Yeah, um, but like, again, like, yeah. Anywho, Scott is like, let's send him back to the underworld <laughs> <laughs> because Scott sees Theo as a threat to his control. Whereas bringing Theo out has been an action that the that Liam has made to take control.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It is such an interesting moment between Liam and Scott, because we've kind of heard them talking a little bit about what's going to happen when Scott graduates and the, the pack kind of has to reorganize itself. And Liam wants so badly to be the person that they look to and to be the new alpha, which means being in control. Mm-hmm. And he feels confident in his plan. Um, And he also clearly feels confident in his ability to control Theo, which I don't know where he gets that idea from. Um. Well,
0: I think that Theo being back to like his regular power level Mm -hmm. and then like having Hayden, but also like he has a serious emotional hold over Theo. Like, Mm-hmm. you you go back to your sister who's going to keep ripping your heart out forever. I mean, he, Liam doesn't know this, but, like, when he says, I'll send you back, like, that is an extremely visceral thing for yeah. Theo, who has been tortured for months at this point. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't even know if Liam necessarily understands where that control is coming from, but I think he senses it from Theo because Theo, um, for lack of a better word, is, like, immediately pretty submissive to the baby pack.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense because he has just been ripped back into the world. Yeah. Um. So he doesn't really know where he stands. He hasn't really had time to form any sort of devious plans. And also, I think um, Theo's main motivation right now is just to not get sent back to where he's been. Yeah. Um.
0: I also don't necessarily know if he has any devious plans per se. I mean, like, he obviously is not. Like, he stays, like evil mm-hmm. but like at the current like time he doesn't have, there's there's like there's no spoons in the pot like he, there's nothing he wants there's nothing cooking yeah yeah except for like the light stability of having people be like okay we won't send you back <laughs> to Hades or wherever the hell he's been yeah yeah
1: um and then to add into that equation Scott who feels wildly out of control in general Um, with regard to the ghost riders and not being able to save people, which is kind of Scott's worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. Um, I think his feeling is that if Theo is around, like that is just one more thing that he has to keep tabs on. And it means that his control over the pack and possibly like his own mental stability is slipping. Like he brings up very specifically that he's worried that Theo would cause Liam to lose control. Yeah, because of uh,
0: because of that time that Liam lost control and, and almost like, killed, killed Scott. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: which, you know what? I don't know. I feel like that's a valid point.
0: Well, yeah, I think that Scott is clearly um, very, uh, I don't know if regretful is the right word, but hyper conscious of the decisions and he made in like the, the trust he put in people in the previous season to be pretty wary about how he chooses to proceed with Theo because I think to Scott, who doesn't really ever actually take all that much responsibility for the fact that he lets <laughs> Theo take over his life is like, well, this guy ruined everything. And it was like, okay, you did jump in to trust <laughs> some dude you haven't met. You haven't seen in 10 years over your best friend, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting because I think that he views Theo as a complete, um, like the example of him losing control.
1: Yeah. Because Theo was a wild card. Like they have no idea what to expect from him.
0: Yeah. And not in the way that Peter is <laughs> like, we're, no,
1: not in a fun way. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I just sort of, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but like Melissa, like looks at Malia and she's like, you need a plan. Cause this guy sucks. And like, <laughs> Scott and Liam aren't they? They neither of them have a plan. They sort of just have like a one answer. Mm-hmm. It's like send him back or don't, and then they don't really have anything else from there or any like strong sort of reasoning as to as to how they deal with all of this. Um, and that strikes me as interesting because Scott's answer is like, well, if we put him back, we don't have to think of anything that might. <laughs> stop him from doing evil things. And Liam was like, well, if we think of things to, that he might do that are evil and stop him from doing them, he might be useful to have around.
1: Yeah, well, to Liam like the risks um or the the net positives outweigh the risks. Yeah. um of having him around, but it's super evident like in the rest of the episode that it they had a plan, but it only went so far. Yeah. So that's just kind of like his ish, I yeah. guess.
0: Um, and it's funny because when they get, when they trap the ghost rider and everyone, it feels like one thing is finally so gone So triumphant. Away. And Le- like Theo, whose fate has hung in the balance of these two people who have been fighting about him, his existence for the whole episode realizes that they didn't actually think about what they were going <laughs> to do after he helped them. And so that has to be a little bit like, hold on. <laughs> Which hey. has to be <laughs> infuriating from his perspective because like,
1: is Theo a master planner? No. But does he think of a lot of contingencies and try to be, like, several steps ahead of everybody else?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, like, to see Scott McCall, Big Bad Alpha, mm-hmm. and his little alpha in training, um, just completely not think about literally
0: any follow through. Yeah.
1: Um, he must be just standing there being like, what the fuck is
0: Did you need me for... Well, especially when he feels so out of control, the only way that he doesn't go nuts out throughout the episode is being like, well, it seems like this might work. Mm -hmm. And then it does. And then there's no follow-through. And he's like, okay, I'm just as out of control as I was. (laughs) Like, I just am, you know, I think that that's interesting. Also, like, in terms of, like, actually being out of control, they fucking chain him up, which is very funny. It's, like, very funny that they put Theo on a leash. But, like, you also have, like, physical ramifications of, like, if this doesn't work, he is... Fully can be stuck anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. It is interesting. I observation d- thought that that scene <laughs> where like Liam and Hayden are like talking <sighs> about whether or not it's worth it to have him out, and she's like, no, it is. And they kiss, and he's like, I would leave you guys alone, but I can't because <laughs> I'm chained to you. Was like, not like the joke wasn't funny enough for me to be like, this scene had merit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that um, Teen Wolf really, really wants the audience to care about Liam and Hayden's relationship. Um, But because I personally don't care about it at all.
0: I would if I would. I really would if they made Hayden anything other than, like, a cool girl. Like, the fact that she's so quick to volunteer to be bait, I was like, why are you such a cool girl? Like, why didn't they give you as fleshed out of, like, Motivations and personality, and like neuroses that all of the other women in the show get to have, you know?
1: Yeah, it is deeply unfortunate. And weirdly enough, I think that if that scene had been. Played between Scott and Allison, and it had been like Scott and Allison have like a little very intense moment, and then they smooch, and Peter's there, and he's or, like,
0: or Jackson, yeah, he's like, I'll
1: leave you be. Yeah, that would have been tremendously funny because like we actually care about that relationship. Yeah. Um, but the Liam and Hayden thing, it really just seems like she exists to fluff his ego. Um, yeah, which sucks. I, I am both <laughs>
0: resentful of the fact that they couldn't produce um a female character who had like a who could hold her own in the show. I don't like the way that she is basically a prop for Liam. Like she's literally there in that scene to be like, no, you did the right thing. Boyfriend.
1: Like yeah. she's
0: underutilized and underdeveloped. And that makes me really frustrated with the writers. Like this is truly no shade to that actress. What's her name? I have no idea. I, I used to know it. It's probably in my notes somewhere. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, look, I'll look it up. Um, But like, yeah. I was like, this would have been so funny if it was like any other couple. If it was like Malia and Styles, Scott, oh, that and Kira, would have been very funny. Literally any other couple, it, would, it could have been Corey and Mason. It would have been funny.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. No, I'm just thinking about it, and that actually would have been great and like way better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, shall we move on? Um. To talk about uh Corey and Mason a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um they are kind of there to prop up the plan. And, um, this seems kind of like a logistical or like character flaw or like brain fart on the part of the writers where it's like, why didn't Mason ask like what the plan was? Why was he not prompting Mm -hmm. more to be like, well, how are we going to get him to talk? Like Mason is the smart one by designation. Um, So he's just there to build this cage that doesn't, none of this makes any sense to me. and I somehow made (laughs) it
0: so that metal doesn't conduct electricity.
1: I guess. And I don't know how that works. Um, There might be a science explanation and I'm not going to boldly say that there isn't because (laughs) what if I'm wrong? Um, I have no problem being wrong. (laughs) But I don't, I do not understand how that happened. Like where are they?
0: What's most interesting to me is they remove that, like, these two, like, it's interesting, you know, because Corey obviously has a superpower over everybody when it comes to dealing with the Ghost Riders due to his invisibility. He can always see them. He can make them visible. But they station Corey basically on the roof and Mason in the outfield. So the two people who have put together this plan aren't actually, have no control over its execution beyond they they built the cage.
1: Yeah. Um, if anybody should have control in this scenario, it should be Corey, mm-hmm. um, because he does have that superpower. Yeah, um, and it's one of the more like frustrating parts of the episode to watch them all. Um, just be outside that building and be like checking their phones and trying to figure out what's happening because they are not privy to what's going on inside. And it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there isn't really any way that they could stop any other ghost writers from entering
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: that building unless their job is simply to just like warn Scott. But
0: I actually think that this episode is slightly underwhelming because he doesn't just like Summon a bunch of ghost riders yeah like that the ghostwriter they capture doesn't bring a whole herd that they then have to like defend this weird shack in the woods from
1: i think well it looks like it's building towards so that, that and then it
0: doesn't it's like oh oh, oh okay. okay
1: yeah it's really anticlimactic yeah um and the people who should be given control in that situation just are not no
0: yeah and then like they're out here being like hi Mr. Ghost Rider which I loved but it's funny because even when they're at this impasse where they don't know how to communicate with the Ghost Rider it's Mason and Corey who are the plan guys right now who are like well perish don't they... you guys use your eyes like they are the people who ha- they have been like sidelined they've been sort of relegated to like I said the outfield and they are the people who you wish had control in this situation
1: mm-hmm It's such a bummer. And they figure all of that out without even being in the room.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a bummer that it's not actually done with more purpose. Like, I think if you had a reason to have Mason and Corey not around and it felt like, oh, shit, we really need them. And that, like, Mm -hmm. would really raise the stakes that, like, the two characters you absolutely need in the room absolutely can't be there. But because they're just floating around, it's like...
1: There's no real sense of urgency no. in this episode.
0: No, and I I didn't dislike this episode. No, not I didn't either. Um, but you're right. Like I think the stakes were slightly too low.
1: And and for why? I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, I also like this is another episode where like the B plot is like far more compelling because it is the the stakes and I think that, you know, we're going to move on to the Malia Peter stuff and the sheriff um, Lydia stuff in a bit. But the stakes there are emotionally so much higher than what's happening with the ghostwriter that like when it flashes back, I'm like, oh yeah, he's still in a cage. They've been standing in the same room for scenes.
1: Yeah. It feels like the things that Lydia and Malia are trying to accomplish are so much more tangible um, and actionable mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, because Malia is like dedicated to figuring out how to get into the ghost hideaway. And Lydia is convinced that she can, you know, get the sheriff to believe her. Um, and she is like incredibly worried because um, she senses that Claudia isn't real and maybe might be evil. She doesn't verbalize that, but that's the vibe.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't even think that Claudia is ever supposed to be evil, but she does understand that there's an urgency for Claudia who doesn't want to leave this plane. Mm hmm. To not want Styles to come back because it is her own like that brings forth her demise in whatever you know soul sense that she is alive. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about Malia and Peter. My first question is these nine herbs that just got made up in the last episode. Um,
1: They're supposed to be for supernatural,
0: which I guess
1: I mean like if you're burned by the Ghost Rider fire is that special i don't know
0: maybe my whole point is though is that like if we've known about these these herbs that could do that to peter Mm -hmm. and they're celtic so presumably deaton might know about these nine herbs nobody thought to stab peter in the chest with a syringe full of green goo like 20 years ago (laughs) you'd maybe fix all of teen wolf
1: yeah then teen wolf would never have happened it is weird because he says what do you know about our medicine which implies that there's like special werewolf medicine and like
0: that nobody was treating peter with like i guess derek was the only one around but like deaton technically still had like an allegiance to the hills you know
1: yeah um the and the only real like quote unquote our medicine is yeah. like are you talking about wolf spain like that is mistletoe the, we the, haven't
0: seen either in seasons no
1: um so that doesn't make any goddamn sense uh and not only that but once they plunge it into his sternum,
0: for some reason. He foams at the mouth. Did you get it in his lungs, or did you get it in his stomach? Either way, that doesn't really make it sense. It doesn't
1: make any sense. And then he walks out of the hospital with a full head of hair and a beautifully trimmed little beard. Yeah. Ha- the fact that he has eyebrows.
0: Yeah. I, here's the thing. I mean, like, I guess the healing process can be like your hair growing if they heal fast, I guess you can, your hair can go. I it's guess. Me. Here's my thing. My thing is like, I get, I get it was just a plot device. I get you needed something. You needed to introduce that in the last episode to leverage your way and it get like leverage it in, in for this episode. But it is so disconnected with like early seasons lore, which like you can't actually always demand that it be so hyper consistent because we've learned a bunch of other stuff about a bunch of other things in recent seasons. But You are um, basically telling us that like your plot devices in the early seasons could have been solved by this one thing, which is like, come on. I feel like there's a smarter way to do this.
1: I agree. And I think part of the reason that it's so jarring is that by and large, the first few episodes of this season feel so well paced and it feels like the plot is moving along at a really believable rate and uh, things happen kind of logically and i am not asking 9 times out of 10 i'm not asking for logic from teen wolf but because that's been kind of the setup of this season is that things kind of happen in a way uh that time-wise makes sense um that is like respectful of like how time actually works mm-hmm. um it's just so jarring yeah. to have it be oh well this isn't even like the next day this is the same night yeah. basically and
0: i think that i think the biggest issue is that it's like we already know that peter suffered through these exact wounds for, and yeah, yeah couldn't
1: get it together
0: so it just feels like then what was the point of all of that um i didn't realize we we're gonna spend that long on the stupid nine herbs but like it's, ma- a, it's frustrating a magical cure-all is interesting once mm-hmm. actually um any humst, so uh malia and peter obviously malia um and Peter both live in a game of control. And Peter right now is frustrated that all of a sudden this thing has entered his life that makes him, um, experience real human emotions and Wild. he no longer is actually in, he, he one can't really manipulate her because Malia knows what she's about. And two is a, like sort of allowing himself to be pushed around by her. He's, he's in less control than we have really ever seen from an emotional standpoint, um, and I, I, think that that's really compelling and Malika doesn't really need any much more than like, I know you did this out of the goodness of your horrible heart <laughs> to be like, we need to go do this. It's, it's a really interesting sort of, um, pull and push type of, we have to help each other out even though we don't want to dynamic.
1: Yeah. Um, I find it so fascinating because Peter is the one character I think who very consistently like has a strong sense of control, even if the audience doesn't see it. Like, you know, he is always the one manipulating behind the scenes. Like he, he has everything going the way he wants it to most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. Like throwing Malia in as this emotional complication, which is something he's clearly never had to think about before her. No. Um, not he even. would just
0: kill, like, he would f- kill Derek. <laughs> and it's
1: hilarious because he actually does seem to like Derek. Yeah. Uh, but he, Derek um, eventually would serve no purpose or be completely unuseful like, mm-hmm. to Peter. So, why keep him around? But there is just, like, something about Malia. Yeah. And it, I don't know if it's just the fact that she's his daughter or, like... I
0: think the, it is. I think, well, I, I think that part of Peter, I think the existence of a child complicates Peter's feelings about himself. I think he views himself as a destructor and he doesn't do that with malice. I think he kind of likes that he's like a disrupting, self-serving figure. He even says, you have no, he says to Malia, you have no sense of of self-preservation. How are you, my daughter? Because peter's only motive always is self-preservation and that is why he's so slimy and so delightful mm-hmm. to watch um but i think that her very existence the fact that he has it what, briefly took part in like bringing life into this world completely disrupts that and he's like i don't am i he's like he's looking at her he's like am i supposed to love you is that how this is supposed to work Um, it's, it's very complicated. And I think that even just challenging his own perception of himself makes him lose a little bit of control. And she actually gains the upper hand because she is intuitive and is watching him sort of stumble. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it would be so interesting to be able to connect all of this to the end of season four because when we find out that like Peter gave Meredith the idea for being the benefactor and like it was just this revenge fantasy for what had happened to his family mm-hmm. um and that 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 was like the motivating force like he clearly feels the loss of his familial pack very deeply even though that's not something that he likes to dwell on and now um yes he would kill Derek but Malia's his daughter yeah and that feels like oh it's a new generation of my family it's a new opportunity um it would be so great if we got to articulate some of that but I'll I'll just speculate it's fine
0: yeah <laughs> yeah what else do we do on this podcast? Uh, yes. I feel like he would kill Derek and then do whatever magic he had Lydia do on him in season two to bring him back to life. And Derek would be like, you killed me. He'd be like, yeah, but I also brought you back to life. So <laughs> yeah, be grateful.
1: I, I put you back the way I found you.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I think their whole dynamic is really fun. Um, the marking your territory joke, very funny. So funny. <laughs> Especially because I really could just see Malia being like, well, I guess I'll pee here. <laughs>
1: It would be so on brand.
0: I know. So that's, in and character, I think Peter knows that. And that's why he's like, huh? huh?
1: Uh, yeah. I really liked Malia in this episode because we kind of come back to um, her issues that she's been having without Styles of being uh, incapable of controlling herself um, mm-hmm. as a human. And she says very blatantly to Peter that Styles is her anchor.
0: Yeah. I think she's using her control of her. For- Peter to regain her control of her control over herself Mm -hmm. i think it's unfortunate to me only insofar as that like it doesn't offer malia a ton of agency to think that styles is the one that keeps her human all the time but like she's right without the inciting act of him actually helping her um you know she is out of control
1: i i think it's um Kind of a roundabout way of Malia saying that she really does love and care about Styles,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and not just for like what he brings into her life, but because that relationship is so important to her. Mm-hmm. Um, because like the fact that um, Allison was scott's anchor doesn't like take away her agency it's just kind of weird the way that it's presented here
0: no my well the thing about like the styles thing is is like i want there to exist a malia that can have control without having to be like mm-hmm. i have an anchor yeah um be your own anchor if you will thanks be, melissa be your Nicole. own anchor um but i do understand that like she sees this as her her way of getting back to that point mm-hmm. um so it's all very interesting should we talk about sheriff and lydia
1: yeah, let's do it. It is tragic. It is
0: incredible. I think that, like, well, one, I think that, like, Lyndon Ashby and Holland Roden are both so deep in these characters who have had this long standing, re- these long standing relationships with styles. Um, by far the most emotionally complex relationships with styles. With the exception of Scott in the previous season, like, their relationship has always been sort of, um, like, untested mm-hmm. and season five is a fluke like it yeah yeah literally whatever um but like, <laughs> but
1: like the tagline for season five literally <laughs> <with> whatever <Team laughs> Wolf,
0: literally whatever <laughs> but like Lydia has had to go through this huge thing of trying to figure out how she feels about this boy in her life and then obviously the sheriff is has very like loves Styles deeply, deeply, as you know, parents do, but has had a lot of you know, feelings about Styles. Um, that and on un- probably an unconscious, um, like thing about like being like, you know, without Styles, would I have Claudia? Because that has been a long suggested um guilt complex that Styles has in yeah. the show, going back to party guests.
1: Which is insanely good continuity mm-hmm. um, for the characters.
0: Yeah. So obviously, like we're at a place where Lydia has come to the re- has come to the full realization of her feelings for Styles. And so she needs him back so much. and that is like she needs to get control over the sheriff so she can have him back. But he has already put into he, he's already experiencing a situation that he, Is able to control because he is the one who fosters this image of Claudia he is controlling this whole simulation unconsciously Mm -hmm. but to disrupt that means he loses something he also loves like it's basically a Sophie's choice and I think that the whole interactions between the two of them is really compelling
1: yeah it is um, I think one of the more interesting ways that um, Teen Wolf explores grief um, that the sheriff's grief is so profound, he literally manifests this other person, mm-hmm. um, and he's not a banshee. He's not um, supernatural in any way, but that that loss is like so deep um, that he needs that it to survive.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what's most compelling is that they're saying that he's filling a void, mm-hmm. and they, the void is not specified, Claudia or Styles, because the grief is so. Like it's like compounding. like mm-hmm. he both is with like if Styles is gone, then he has nobody. And then w- upon filling this void because he can't remember Styles, of course, he fills it with Claudia. Mm-hmm. um and he doesn't want to have to unfill that void because not only would Styles coming back like mean he loses her, but with Claudia around and no memory of Styles, he hasn't lost anything. Mm-hmm. And Lydia, obviously can't deal with that like on her personal level and like she, I think she just really sympathize with the sheriff's position and I think her mom is really careful to be like um mm-hmm. be
1: careful yeah. about how you go about that yeah um I really love the work that both of these actors are doing mm-hmm. um and one of the things that I really really liked about this particular scene is it feels like one of those moments where Lydia is in full control of her own powers because not only can she see Styles's room the way that it was um, instead of just, like, completely empty, but she is able to bring the jersey out of her vision. Yeah. And give it to Talk the Talk about sheriff.
0: manifesting things. Whoa. Queen.
1: Yeah. Um, which is, like, for a girl who throughout this entire series has been the person who hears and sees things that other people don't. And they might believe her, but they can never share in her with it for her to be able to like actually reach and bring that Jersey Mm -hmm. into the world and to give it to the sheriff. That is like the ultimate control I think over her powers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think one being able to manifest the Jersey pull it through what is basically the veil Mm -hmm. and offer that to him as proof is her last effort that she has. Because at that point he's like, and what if I don't want to, like, I don't want to remember him if that means losing Mm -hmm. Claudia. Um, Which again is horrible, but it's not that he doesn't want to remember styles is that he doesn't want to have experienced any loss. Um, And Lydia is basically like, well, you have to, because we have to have the world work as it's supposed to. Like this is, you are like letting, basically letting somebody else disappear because you have found a way to fulfill, you know, a a, a, a indescribable loss.
1: Yeah. I mean, she says that pretty explicitly. She says to the sheriff that you are afraid to remember styles. And part of the thing of like manifesting Claudia is the sheriff's brain's way subconsciously because of course he doesn't know he's doing it but like to maintain control mm-hmm. over just like his sanity yeah basically and if you let in the possibility that claudia might not be real like then your control and your grip on like your personal reality is gone
0: yeah and i think her suggesting like that he it's fear like i think fear is often synonymous with like feeling out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, he's trying to maintain that grip. And it's really interesting that, like, basically one has to decide that the other one is is right. And that is what happens, um, concluding that, that whole conversation. Um, and that is an incredibly scary thing to do, to forego your own control because you realize that somebody else is presenting information that is inarguable. Mm-hmm. So I thought I loved that I loved their whole sequence. I thought it was great. I was a little bit like, "Where is Claudia?" But I also was like, so happy that it went uninterrupted.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Um, really, it's great. And it, like I, I keep saying this, I keep saying this, but season is greatest success is that it refocuses its emotional center on the, like everyone's favorite character, and like or the character who all of these people have the strongest relationships to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that scene is is proof positive of that.
1: I would agree. Shall we move into Q's and O's? Let's do it. Do you have any questions? I feel like we have talked about most of them, but I do have one question. Mm-hmm. Um and probably unanswerable, whatever. Um, but Parrish like goes to break the ghost rider out of his little cage. Yeah. Um, and it kind of feels like he's being compelled to, like he doesn't have a way of stopping it. But as we've discussed, Parrish is like a protector of the supernatural and like a protector kind of in general. Like, why would he be against the Dread Doctors who were trying to sow chaos and destruction and not be against the Ghost Riders?
0: Part of me thought that he was breaking in to kill that guy. Yeah, You think? I don't know.
1: I feel like it was kind of, it was ambiguous to me. Maybe that's how you're supposed to read it. And I just, it's like went over my head.
0: completely. I don't know. I'm going to go and I'll give the Teen Wolf writers one and go in favor of ambiguity.
1: Okay, great. That was my question. Do
0: you have any observations?
1: Um, yeah, we've talked about a lot of them. I find it really interesting that so far this season, we haven't had really any interactions between Parrish and Lydia, um, even though they keep showing up in episodes, just not together. Um, and I'm not really sure why that is.
0: People complained.
1: (laughs) Us. We, we
0: complained. Yeah. we, Um, We screamed enough that it actually manifested back in 2017 or whatever.
1: Yeah. I loved the little scene where Natalie comes to lay in bed with Lydia. I liked it too. I thought it was so sweet. And I, I really loved that she was just sitting there listening to Lydia kind of spell out what her frustrations are and what she's learned and what she thinks. Because she can't give her banshee advice, but she can give her human people advice. Yeah, mom
0: advice. Yeah, I love. I loved it. We did <laughs> they retconned Natalie into being a bad mom and then retconned her into being a good mom again?
1: Yeah, this this feels so much more realistic. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I <laughs> Liam saying Mr. Ghost Rider.
0: <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> Not just Mr. Ghost Rider, he goes, Mr. Ghost Rider, Mr. Rider, as if it was inappropriate <laughs> that he used his first name. It is
1: so tremendously funny. Um, I love Liam. It is great.
0: That's one of those moments where like, Liam is like, I'm the alpha now, but then he does that and you're like, you are a whole baby. You are
1: a child. Yeah. Um... I thought it was really, really sweet when Mason was, like, my only superpower is finding Corey. <gasps>
0: I wrote that, too. Yeah. It was so sweet. He's got, like, this... He basically has figured out the tell to, like, figure out where Corey is in time and space when he's invisible. And it's just... It's so sweet.
1: Yeah. That's, like, true love, bitches. Yeah. Um, and then... Okay. We just got done talking about how much we love the scene with the sheriff and Lydia, but when she pulls up his jersey to sniff it, I was like, why?
0: Oh, girl, here's the thing. <laughs> I will just smell things. Like, just, I, I feel like it's. <laughs> hold on. I consider myself a sort of olfactory person. Okay. That so makes if sense. I think that something is going to have a smell, I'll smell it. Mm hmm. And I think she's like, "Does this smell like Styles? Could it smell like Styles? I have to check." It, if you take me to a store where they sell candles, <laughs> I'll be there for
1: hours. It makes sense. It's not as though I was like, "That's weird." But I'm also just like, "That's his lacrosse jersey."
0: No, it is. It, I get that, but like, it's a really common trope for and really common thing that actually people experience to like be like, "I sleep in the." Close yeah no i don't find one.
1: i don't find that yeah. pr- that weird it's just that it was a sports jersey okay it, it's just but that like styles doesn't
0: play <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: true how much sweating was he really doing exactly. in the jersey um yeah those were my uh those are my observations i think what about you
0: um i also said to the uh mr ghostwriter mm-hmm. and the my powers finding you um I don't, I cannot read what that third note <laughs> says. Oh, you know, I really had a problem with the lighting in this episode. Mm. Mostly because like, and this has been a, a, a recently more talked about thing about how like often lighting designers aren't very good at lighting black actors. Mm-hmm. Just like many of, just one of the many ways that systemic racism leaks into everything. Um, but I was looking at... Um, Mason, played by Kaylin Rambeau, and even a little bit Tyler Posey, who's also not white. And I was like, I cannot see you guys in this room.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And I, you could see Theo. You can see Liam. You can see their their expressions. I could not see Corey and Scott. And I don't know if they were... like It really wasn't that they were standing in shadow. They were literally standing in a straight line. And I was like, this is really weird. And that's not the first time I've noticed this. Um, when lighting some of the black actors on the show but i just noticed it especially in this episode and i was like that's a bummer
1: it feels especially disappointing given how much of the show takes place at nighttime yeah like you guys have had so long to figure that out
0: yeah yeah Yeah. it it is especially weird
1: because it's like if it's noticeable with tyler posey it's extra 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 noticeable yeah with kylan rambo like yeah. You've had so you have had an ample time to address that.
0: And I feel like a lot of the stuff that happens is often in close up, which is why it's not overly egregious because mm-hmm. the, you're being lit directly on your face. Like, yeah. I think that's a big reason as to why I've never really noticed it with like Seth Gillum, because he's always in the vet's office and he's, a lot of his scenes are done in close up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that scene, I was like, I can't see two of the actors on here. This is racist. <laughs>
1: yeah pretty much
0: um what else I do oh um I love that I freaking loved the scene in the elevator when Peter has his arms over (laughs) Malia and Melissa because they're dragging him to the hospital and he looks at Melissa and he goes well I never got that second date and they drop him because I was like that is an excellent callback for season one
1: it is so good we were literally talking earlier today about how much we love Peter and yeah like he's just so funny and always gets the best lines
0: he does yeah also, just like, I think that sort of great was a great moment of being like, oh, yeah, these two have been here since the beginning. You they know?
1: have history. History, which is yeah. why
0: Melissa is like, Malia, I don't, don't trust talk him. Talk to your dad. Yeah. He's evil. He's a. She, she calls him a con man, which is like, yeah, that's exactly what Peter is. And that's why we love him. True. Do you have an alpha of the week?
1: My alpha of the week.
0: Why is it Theo? <laughs>
1: Uh, it's kind of Theo. I also was going to give it to Lydia.
0: Yeah, let's give it to Lydia.
1: Because I like giving it to the girls.
0: Well, I also, like, I think both, like, in terms of being alphas and, like, doing heroic shit, I think Malia and Lydia both took on hugely complicated tasks that are ultimately forwarding the plot slightly more than whatever the hell was happening in the shack
1: so much more interesting because we actually learned that that's the thing we didn't even learn a new thing from the ghostwriters we knew all along that they didn't want anything that all they do is hunt
0: yeah all we did was to like, get like the douglas reveal but that was only on uh, that was of his own accord yeah yeah
1: so never yeah. mostly i
0: just sort of was giving it to theo because um i don't know he agreed to help he agreed to help.
1: He did not. He did not let the ghost rider out. He didn't do anything devious. In fact, he put the mountain ash back down.
0: He did. Yeah. Well, it was funny. Like at one point like Theo makes a joke about being like when Scott and Liam are fighting, he's like, oh, "I hate when mom and dad fight." And I was like Okay, I get that. That's kind of like the oh, it's awkward because they're fighting, whatever, and this is like a sort of familial situation. But the way that it really was a parent fighting with their teenager, who's like, "You can't tell me what to do, mom." Yeah, was was great. Um, so I don't know. You know, I I just liked I just liked Theo being there for what he did to the dynamic. You know what?
1: I don't. I think that that is perfect justification for our incredibly arbitrary Alpha of the Week award.
0: Yeah, I sometimes I'm like, How do, did we do that last week? I forget all the time. Um, anyway, I think that wraps it up. Yeah, I think we do uh, pack stats. Pack stats. Oh my gosh, I I really like uh, being. Oh, sometimes I forget Alpha of the Week. <laughs>
1: Banana bread. Okay, go ahead. Well, do we I actually have pack stats this week, which is crazy. We had five eyes, two claws. Uh, Two shirts, but I feel like it should be one and a half, because Parrish's flame retardant shorts made yet another (laughs) appearance.
0: Where does he buy (laughs) those? Okay, when Parrish is running through the woods (laughs) at, like, Usain Bolt speed, I was like, this is so funny.
1: He can run very quickly. Um, No ads. But as everybody heard, we had two sirens. We did. Um, But we've been relatively siren-free for weeks now, so I feel like...
0: They're catching up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now that wraps it up. <laughs> Thank you for the pack stats. Uh, if you like this episode, oh, right. if you like this episode, you guys can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen ReWolf, and our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Podcast. If you really like this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We'll read it out loud and do some commentary. It's always funny. If you really, really like this podcast, you can buy us a coffee ko fi.com forward slash teenwolf ReWolf. Um, or buy one of our stickers on Redbubble. Just Redbubble.com forward slash teenwolfrewolf. It's great. Other than that, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh, woo! Woo!